ladies, gentlemen, earth-dwelling aliens, vegans, welcome to Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed. The money, but what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my dog... But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Broadcasting from Edinburgh, Scotland, across the globe. You're listening to Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed. The People's Podcast. Here to rock the podcast world. Yes, thank you for downloading this edition of Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed. It's the Sutherland at the Controls again, broadcasting this time from West Sussex. Not quite as exciting as Mauritius last time, but at least there are fewer mosquitoes here. Friends have contacted me uh, last week. We've had over 8,000 downloads now. That's just fantastic. So that's becoming really quite a big podcast. Probably one of Scotland's biggest free speech podcasts, so keep it up. If you've downloaded it on your iPhone, download it on your iPad. If you've downloaded it on your iPad, download it on your iPhone. If you've downloaded it on your iPod, download it on your iPad. If you've downloaded it, download it on your iPad, download it on your iPhone. Well, you get the message. Just keep downloading it. It's fantastic. The more downloads we get, the more revenue we can get from sponsors, the more we can invest in the podcast, and the more often we can bring you free speech. I have to say, uh, I think some of Fraser's output is... Uh, rousing an emotional defence last week of uh, Remembrance Day was uh, was incredible, really. I think the way he spoke about how those people died to fought, um, fighting for free speech uh, all those years ago was really quite moving. I thought that was great stuff. And some of his output recently via Blab has been really good. He's getting... He's so good at it now. I'm so impressed with um, what, what Fraser's been doing. If you haven't heard his stuff, get back in the archives download it. It's fantastic. Tell your friends to download it. Tell your mum to download it. Tell your dad to download it. If you're on a Tinder date, tell your date to download Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed. It's bound to... Uh, well, actually, no, don't, don't, don't do that. The date will end remarkably quickly and uh, you'll be swiping again in no time. Um, yeah, so don't do that. But everyone else, definitely download it, I have to say. So we're recording today on the 19th of November 2015, and there's a reason I'm mentioning the date of the recording, and that's because so many times now we've been ahead of the game. So many times. If you think about the problems that we've had with uh, terrorists coming in through the refugees from Syria, masquerading as refugees, we were all over that last year. If you think about the diesel emissions scandal, well, I've been going on about that for about 10 years now. No one's been listening whatsoever. The fact that diesel cars are illegal in the United States is the big, big clue there. If they're illegal somewhere, or virtually illegal in the United States, unless they've got very complicated filtration systems fitted, then maybe they're not so good. 10,000 people in London dying a year because of diesel pollution, and the mainstream media, silenced. The government complete silence. But on this podcast, we were talking about this months ago. So that's why I mentioned the date. Because if you download this archives, you will realise that we've been ahead of the game. So get downloading, get listening to Scotland's free speech podcast, Patrick and Ramsey Unleashed. So what's been going on? Well, it's been a terrible week, really, with uh, the atrocity in Paris. It's uh, 
thoroughly depressing, really, and even more depressing is the politician's response. It seems to be uh, to throw it in the miscellaneous box, give it a damn good ignoring, find some long grass somewhere and kick it just as far into it as they possibly can. I don't know what the solution is, but it isn't to light up the London eye in red, white or blue, or light up the uh, Scott Monument in Edinburgh, red, white and blue. That, that's, that's not going to solve the problem here. OK, it's nice. OK, it shows a little bit of uh, camaraderie with the uh, problems that the French have been having, but it's not going to solve anything, is it? I don't know what the solution is, but I, I'm not a politician, and I know what they're doing is not good enough. What else has been going on? Well... Doctors are going to go on strike. Extraordinary, really, isn't it? They have never, ever been on strike before, but yet Jeremy Hunt has managed to get the doctors to vote by 98% to go on strike. Now, I don't even know what's going on. I, 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 it seems to me, I've seen people interviewed on the TV today, some very impressive doctors, most of them are female, actually, seem to be um, causing all the trouble. I, I like that, actually. I quite like these these bolshy people causing a bit of trouble. And um, nobody would come on and discuss it from the um, uh, Department of Health today. So they never got their, their side of the story um, through. But, I mean, the gist of it seems to be that they want to make working every hour God sends normal hours to stop them from claiming overtime. And, I mean, the, the trouble is, I mean, things like tube workers and bus drivers, people you know, who are earning a lot of money to do a job that probably you think you could probably do, um, you don't have so much sympathy. But when doctors, doctors are going on strike, these guys and girls study for seven years, they do horrendous hours. If they put their minds to something else, they could probably be earning hundreds of thousands of pounds in the city of London or in other financial centres or in Edinburgh or in law, accountancy, management consultancy, whatever they chose to do, they could earn an absolute fortune, but they chose to become doctors. And they're really unhappy. And I'm unhappy that they're unhappy, and I think I believe them, to be honest. I'm not sure I completely believe Jeremy Hunt uh, when he says that only 1% are going to lose out. Um, they signed up seven years ago to become doctors, and some of them even longer than seven years ago, because a junior doctor is just someone who isn't a consultant. Um, so I think I'm very much on their side, to be honest. Um, so we'll see what happens. Hopefully they'll um, figure something out. I know the new Labour uh, gave the GPs quite a, a large pay rise uh, a few few years ago in the uh, mid-noughties. Uh, that seemed to go through. So maybe they're trying to claw back some money from the, the, the junior hospital doctors. I don't know what's going on, but I don't trust Jeremy Hunt, that's for sure. Anyway, I'm going to leave it now. Uh, when I come back after the break, I'm going to talk about the BBC because I was up in London yesterday to an event held by The Spectator magazine and uh, Andrew Neil was chairing it with some quite distinguished people on the panel, including Lord Melvin Bragg, Rachel Johnson, that's Boris's sister, and uh, James Pennell, the BBC's director of strategy, who went into a unadvertised... Um, job of over £300,000 a year. So I'm going to talk to you about that. But right now, we need to have some commercial breaks. Uh, we need to pay for the podcast. We need to keep Fraser in 
green tea. If he doesn't get green tea, he turns into an animal, you see. So we need to keep him with this calming green tea. So here's a little word from our sponsors. Thank you very much. Hey, this is yours truly, Black Caesar Rex of the Sea Pirate Network. And when I'm not out here listening to Hadrick and Ramsey, we're broadcasting out on the Sea Pirate Network, www.iko.haaf. We're looking forward to having the Hatrick and Ramsey podcast up on the channel on our network soon. This is Black Caesar Rex. I'm out. What's up? It's your boy Relevision, host of Five Mics Radio, Fridays at 11.30, live from New York. Shout out to the Hattrick and Ramsey podcast. Enjoying the show? Tell us about it. Send us your feedback, suggestions, or thoughts to hattrickandramsey at gmail.com. <laughs> This show is brought to you by EdinburghDusters.com and IdeasGoingLive.com. Welcome back to part two of Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed on the 19th of November, 2015. Welcome back. Yes, it's Scotland's home of free speech, the Hattrick and Ramsey podcast here. You must... If you listen to the news and you are thinking to yourself this... Don't bullshit me. Bullshit. Bullshit. <laughs> bullshit. 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 Come on! Don't bullshit me! You're probably right, because so much the mainstream media is, is biased. All the uh, major broadcasters, the BBC, Scotland, STV, uh, Sky, everyone that broadcasts around the country, they have a licence from the government... Now, if you don't think that restricts what they say about the government or the various corporations that fund the government, then you are wrong. So listen to podcasts. Don't just listen to this, although obviously do listen to this and download it again and again and again, but listen to other podcasts. Listen to different people's truths. Listen to all these different truths and form your own opinion because what comes from the mainstream media, what comes from the government, is not the truth. I'm not saying it's not all wrong. I'm just saying it's not entirely the truth. Anyway, enough about that. I'm glad you enjoyed the commercial. It pays for Fraser's green tea. It's important he has his green tea, otherwise he gets very, very angry. So we need to keep the money coming in to get Fraser his green tea. So last night I was up in London. Ooh, yes, nice, nice day out. Jonathan's night out in the city. Very exciting it was too. We went up to... um, Westminster, basically, just very close to Westminster Abbey to listen to a debate which was hosted by The Spectator. And the debate was about, is the BBC really a national treasure? So, uh, traipsed up there, uh, had a nice glass of plonk beforehand, very pleasant indeed, a little bit of chateau shite before we went in. And uh, it was chaired by Andrew Neil, who was, um, well, a, a most impressive broadcaster. You've probably heard me say in the past how I think he is the only reason to pay the licence fee, to be honest, uh, after Top Gear's gone. Clarkson and Andrew Neil, they were the two that were, <laughs> that were the best. Probably shows you where I'm coming from. But um, he chaired the debate. He was terrific at chairing the ba- debate. And there were six speakers there, which were from different opinions, really, from people who were very pro-BBC to people who were really 
quite antagonistic against it. Didn't didn't uh, we're not big fans of it at all. Uh, the first guy I, I mentioned is a guy called Robert Aiken. He was a 25-year career with the BBC on programs like On the Record, The Money Program, and the Today Program on Radio 4. He left the corporation in, in the mid-noughties, about 2007, I think, uh, uh, because he he just thought it was biased, really. It was just ingrained. It was very left-wing-minded. It was sort of the media arm of the Guardian newspaper, really. But I'll go into more detail about what they all said in a moment. Uh, another person in the panel was Lord Melvin Bragg, that media stalwart indeed. Uh, probably all heard of him. Watched him droning on about art or something on the telly. And then there's uh, another guy there who was called Andrew Bridgen, MP. He's a MP for the Midlands and he is fighting against the, or fighting to decriminalise the non-payment of the licence fee. Uh, something which I very much agree with, actually. So uh, I had a long chat with him afterwards, so we'll talk about that later on too. There was, as she said herself, a token woman there, which was Rachel Johnson. Uh, that's uh, Boris's sister, although maybe I should say that Boris is Rachel's brother, just not to be sexist. Uh, she was really good fun. Again, I'll go into more detail about what she said in a moment. Another guy, I hadn't heard of him, actually. He was um, a... Guy, he'd been at the BBC since 1988 and only left this year. So he'd been there for years, really, 20, 25 years, more than that, nearly 30 years. Um, worked on all the big news programmes, really, uh, won numerous awards. Uh, Miriam Jones was his name. Um, a very thoughtful guy, very impressive with him. And the uh, sixth person uh, was uh, <laughs> James Purnell, the director of strategy, the uh, the guy that really the spoof W1CA was virtually written about because um, the way he got the job with absolutely no um, advertising from anyone else whatsoever, just straight into a 300,000k plus job a year. Um, pretty scandalous, really. Uh, but I'll talk about what he said in a, in, in a bit, too. So Andrew Neil got it all going, introduced everybody, and the format was that people would speak for what well, seemed like ages, to be honest. I think they got far too long to speak. Uh, I would say they spoke for 10 minutes each, something like that, and then they had about 45 minutes of debate after it. I think they should have spoken for about three minutes each. That would be more than enough, uh, particularly in the case of Melvin Bragg. I'll start with him. Boy, I think, did he start? No, I'm not sure he did. But boy, if you want one guy who is the embodiment of everything that is wrong with the BBC, it's Melvin Bragg. I mean, a born lefty, really, isn't he? Uh, uh, went to the House of Lords when he bought his 8,000th copy of The Guardian or something, clipped the vouchers to get a peerage in the House of Lords. Is that what you do? Is that how you get in? You collect the vouchers from The Guardian? I don't know how you get into the House of Lords. Probably you have to toady up to the establishment or Tony Blair or something. But he was awful, really. He just mumbled into his notes. He said that it, the BBC was a national treasure and that's all you need to know. Just keep paying your licence fees. Um, uh, he was banging on about the arts and stuff. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm not that interested in art, so obviously I'm slightly biased on that. Um, but the sense of entitlement that he had about the whole thing was really quite alarming, to be honest. Um, not a very impressive contributor at all. However, I think I spoke about Marion Jones uh, before. He, uh, he's a very, very thoughtful guy. He was actually sacked because he uh, brought up the uh, Jimmy Savile. Um, the allegations weren't allegations. It was true, wasn't it? Um, 
or paedophilia within the, the BBC. And actually, this was a theme of the debate. Uh, the subtle controversy at the BBC, you cannot underestimate how much damage this has done to the organisation, to the corporation. The fact that you have to pay a poll tax effectively, and if you do not pay this um, TV licence fee, you, you can go to jail, and people do go to jail. And you have to pay it to support this organisation which covered up a paedophile for years and years and years. It is pretty awful, really. And this guy, Marion Jones, he made a film in um, 2011, and he prepared it for broadcast. It was due to go out on the 7th of December. And um, th they pulled it. They pulled the film. They wouldn't let him do it. And they sacked him. And he said that. I mean, he, he's not, you know, it's a public debate. It was recorded. He said they sacked him because he wanted to expose Savile. So then you wonder why he is uh, very, very cautious about um, giving the BBC more power. Um, he's very, very um, doubtful over whether that's a good idea. He did, he obviously does like the BBC in some respects, though, and some of his points were quite good. Um, things that I hadn't really thought of, because I was pretty against the BBC, really. I mean, I still am. I still think it is institutionally biased. But he was saying that if you don't have the BBC, then all media in the UK and all output will become Americanized. Unless you have this state-funded monolith churning out things like Strictly Come Dancing and baking shows and uh, world-class news organizations, then the world will become very Americanized. I think maybe that's true. I don't think you can justify putting people in jail for not paying the license fee. Um, but I do think there is a little bit of truth in that. He was also gave a few anecdotes about how, um, more recently than Savile, the latest scandal, really, which was the Kids' Company um, debacle, where Alan Yentov, I don't even know, I think he's director of talent or something like that. Uh, he's got some job which probably gives him half a million pounds a year or something. Apparently, where he was good friends with Camilla Batman-Gelich, who was the lady that was um, heading up Kids' Company, and apparently he was trying to stop the BBC from broadcasting anything negative against his friend's charity. And he apparently was kicking furniture around the offices and new broadcasting house. Absolutely extraordinary stuff, really. This is the kind of thing which gives it a terrible reputation. I mean, the sense of entitlement that that guy has to try and cover up um, what his friend Camilla batman Gallich had been doing at Kids Company was just extraordinary. To their credit, Marion Jones said that the BBC actually went ahead and broadcast it anyway on Newsnight, so fair play. But the fact that you have these people wandering around the place that feel they can just direct what the BBC cover and what they don't just shows that actually it's pretty rotten in the core of the organisation, I think. Somebody that definitely didn't like the BBC was Andrew Bridgen, MP. Uh, he was elected in 2010 up in the, the Midlands somewhere. And... Um, he, he was a businessman before he got elected to uh, Parliament. Um, but he was, um, he was saying that 25% of all the licence fee comes from his area of the West Midlands, but something like only 5% of BBC output goes on uh, programmes for that area. So he was very against the licence fee as a, a um, far too wider brush, really, um, to fund the BBC. He just thinks it's not fair. And he's 
Absolutely true. And he is completely against the criminalization of people who don't pay it. And I'm just completely with him on that. And he also said what I said many months ago on this podcast, that if you think about what the BBC is, I think it was my first podcast I said that, if Russia decided to introduce a compulsory tax to give people the right to listen to any broadcast media, so in other words, if they were charging people, and if they... If you went to jail, if you didn't pay it, what would you think? If you had to pay for Russia Today's output by force of law, what would you think? You'd think it was a crazy situation. But yet that's what the BBC is. And we don't question it because we're just used to it. Well, who else was there? Well, yeah, our friend James Pennell, the uh, director of strategy, one of part of Blair's government, wasn't he? He was the one that resigned and he was trying to get David Miliband to resign to try and get rid of Gordon Brown at the... Uh, the end of his uh, career. He was working pension secretary, I think, so he was a, a very senior politician indeed. Anyway, he just breezed straight into this position in the uh, BBC, £300,000 a year plus, I believe, director of strategy. But he looked like a he looked like a car salesman. He looked like a, not even a very high-end car salesman, maybe a Seat salesman. Well, maybe Seat. Okay, maybe a VW salesman, but in a rural area at a small garage, perhaps something like that. Or maybe a Seat salesman in a metropolitan area. He definitely wouldn't be selling BMWs anyway. He looked a bit scruffy, to be honest. Anyway, what kind of car he's selling probably isn't massively relevant. Um, but yeah, he was he was going on about how the BBC is um, stands up for Britain, how it keeps Britain as one country how you need to have this uh, organisation, otherwise Britain could break up. Um, but that's not true. You know, if you listen to this in Scotland, you know that you don't get Newsnight. Well, you do, but you get it much, much later in an abridged version. You get Scotland 2015. You don't get the same news. In fact, the SNP apparently were pushing to get rid of the news at 10. And um, many people in the BBC think that if you get rid of news at 10 and let Scotland have its own news agenda, then that really could be the, the end of the, the union and pull the BBC apart. So he, was, he wasn't really speaking with a lot of knowledge there, to be honest. Um, yeah, I wasn't very impressed, impressed with him at all. He's very slick, I've got to say. You can imagine him selling that Seat, selling that Seat Ibiza with the optional Bluetooth package. You know, he'd be really, really good at that. But I have to say, the fact that he gets £300,000 a year, what? £300,000 a year? Crazy, crazy stuff. So who else was there? Well, we had uh, Rachel Johnson was there. Um, as I said, uh, Boris Johnson is Rachel's brother um, from the great Johnson clan. I think uh, another brother is uh, in government and obviously two MPs. So, yeah, great political family, really. But she was saying that working at the BBC didn't do her career any good whatsoever. But she raised an interesting point, and that's she works for Rupert Murdoch, I think, Works Rupert Murdoch, and uh, she is quite afraid to say exactly what she to stand up for the BBC too much because obviously the Murdoch um, empire is pretty much against the BBC. It wants to get rid of as much competition as it possibly can. So, uh, but she said that working there probably did damage her career because um, I don't think if you're in newspapers, working at the BBC is very good for your credibility, to be honest. And uh, she said she didn't want to say too much, as I said, because she got paid so handsomely by Rupert Murdoch. So I don't know why she came along, really, to be honest. 
if you're not going to say anything because you're too scared to lose your job, then just 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 don't come. Just stay at home. But she was good fun, I must say. Um, she was quite good fun uh, to listen to. The uh, other guy there was um, was uh, oh, Andrew Neil, of course. Yeah, the speaker, Andrew Neil. Um, he was very very good. He took the questions at the end, and. Uh, the audience members, he was very good. If the audience members started asking a question, he said, it just said, it's a speech, what's your question? Get on with it. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, he was a very good chair, very funny, very witty, just all over the facts. As I said before, the guy is brilliant. He really is the, the BBC's top guy. So, uh, yeah, and afterwards we went out and I had a quite a long chat with Andrew Bridgen, the, the MP. Um, slightly less impressive in, in, in person, actually, Um but you know, very, 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 very likable guy. Definitely believes in in what he's saying. Um, but maybe he'd had too many glasses of wine. I, I don't know. I'm not quite sure about that. Had a long chat with Andrew Neil though, and his take was that James James Pennell got away with it because this was a Spectator uh, debate, which is more of a right of centre magazine, really. And his take was that really he expected the audience to be way, way um, harder on James Pennell and uh, on the BBC generally. He reckons they got away with it. But it was a, uh, a, a, a terrific night, it has to be said. Um, interesting stuff came out, uh, some funny lines. Uh, Marion Jones saying, abolish the BBC Trust because nobody trusts the Trust, which is all, all quite good stuff, really. Um, there's also, um, yeah, that's right, James Pennell was uh, going on about... Because um, the BBC is it's only... It, it isn't governed by um, or regulated by Ofcom. It's like everybody else. It's uh, the BBC Trust does that, so it sort of completely navel gazes. It only really looks at itself. Um, so Andrew was suggesting that perhaps it should be regulated by Ofcom, and then James Pennell piped up, "No, well, it could be off Beeb, off Beeb. It could be that." And he he wants to create another Quango to regulate the BBC. It's just. I mean, it's Yesminster stuff. It really is. You know, they just create more non-jobs to regulate each other and um, give each other a good pat on the back and a nice pension and salary. But it's uh, it was all good stuff, all good stuff indeed. And um, yeah, so that's my take on, uh, on on the BBC debate. It did certainly change my mind about things. Um, I, I do think it it does have a place in society, but the trouble is, it, it's. It completely stuck between a rock and a hard place, really, the BBC, because the the licence fee, it's paid by everybody, or virtually everybody, um, in, in the country. But the output, which the BBC is best known for, things like Newsnight, the Today programme, the, the news programmes, some of the high art programmes, nobody watches them, generally. I mean, I watch them, and probably most of the people in that room watch them, and probably the very intelligent um, people that download this podcast listen to them. But the general population aren't interested. They want to watch Pointless or Celebrity Go Dancing or um, Bait Me a Jungle Celebrity. You know, that that's what they're interested in. But they have to pay for all these sort of highfalutin, highbrow programmes that it's known for. So it's incredibly regressive, really. And the BBC and um, this guy, Andrew Bridgen, was saying, well, why does the BBC make things like Radio 1? Why does it need that? Why does it make Pointless or The Egghead Show or things like that? And um, the truth of the matter is that 
And the voice was another one that they, they brought up to compete with the X Factor, although I believe they've just lost the voice back to ITV, so they can't even keep that. But the reason they had to make these programmes or import these programmes is because if they don't, then they couldn't get away with it. They need to produce the crap to keep most people happy to justify having the highbrow shows, the Today programme, the expensive news output and all the radio output. That's why we've got all these nonsense. That's got like dance music stations, we've got Radio 1 Extra, Radio 1 More, Radio 1 Plus 1, Radio 2 Minus 2. All this nonsense that they, they put out, it's because they have to. Because if they don't do it, then people say, well, you don't produce anything for me. So they have to produce it. Because defending the licence fee is becoming pretty much impossible. Because you've got Sky, you've got Netflix, you've got Freeview, you've got Amazon TV, you've got... There's be, there'll be more coming too. Now TV, all these things are, are coming along. So how can you pay the licence fee just for one organisation? Also, there was a debate on... Um, I think it's Jesse Norman. He's the chairman of the Culture Select Committee, Culture Media Select Committee, if that's what it's called. Um, the BBC are trying now to be commercial. So they've introduced a thing called BBC Studios, um, which is going to create commercial um, output, really, that people pay for. But uh, how can you put in safeguards so that the licence fee... Studios, the, the studios that pay for the license fee and all the infrastructure and the talent they've got, how, that's going to cross subsidise it, isn't it? It's going to have to cross subsidise it. So I don't, I just don't know how that's going to work because it's it's not going to be fair because they're going to have the BBC name, they're going to have the ninety years of history, they're going to have the studios, the producers are all going to be there. So I really don't understand how it can be genuinely. Um, commercial. Uh, it, it can't be. It's always going to have um, some money from the licence fee to back it up. Anyway, that, that's, um, that, that, that's about it, really, um, about the BBC. Um, one last point that uh, actually Andrew Bridgen said when we were chatting afterwards, um, again about the licence fee, was that one in eight magistrates' cases now are licence fee non-payment. And that's something that a commercial organisation can't do Sky cannot take you to court uh, and, well, it can't be paid for by the government to take you to court. It would have to get its own lawyers to take you to court if you don't pay your subscriptions. The BBC doesn't have to do that. The infrastructure of the country, the whole jurisdiction of the country is set up to defend the BBC. It's ingrained in our culture. So one in eight cases is the license fee. What a waste of time. What a complete waste of time. Also, he said that I think 40 to 50 people actually go to jail every year for non-payment of the license fee. And that's absolutely crazy stuff. Absolutely crazy. Anyway, I've got to stop now. Um, I'm sure you've uh, heard enough of my rant about the BBC. Um, but uh, here are some more messages and some interesting music. Enjoying the show? Tell us about it. Send us your feedback, suggestions, or thoughts to hattrickandramsey at gmail.com. Yeah, 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 yeah.
Somebody took you by the hand And led you on a journey Through a wonderland And showed you all the passion and love That he has inside And sang you a song
Welcome back to the third part of the Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed. That's right, you are now part of Scotland's fastest growing free speech podcast. So keep up the good work. Well, the third part, that's not really planned, really, to be honest. So I'm just going to have a little chat about things that are annoying me, which is most things, actually, at the moment. Um, let's start with the EU, shall we? Just, just It's the same stuff, isn't it? It's the same stuff that annoys me every single week. Nothing ever gets done about it. You can never say the truth about it. And um, it just remains extremely irritating. So the EU, Brussels, the Brussels snouts in the trough. Brussels snouts all round in that trough. Unbelievable, really. Uh, their lack of response again to the, the, the migrants' crisis. It's come home to uh, roost horribly, horribly in, in Paris, and they still won't do anything. So we need to get out and rearm. We need to get out of the EU and rearm because they are after us. And what has Cameron come up with? Cameron's EU policy? Well, it seems to me that he's asking for nothing and going to get it. So that's great. You can't lose there. If I ask nothing and I don't get anything, then that's uh, ticked all the boxes, hasn't it? It's, um, it's absolutely fantastic. It's, it's uh, lamentable. It r really is. Uh, um, if, if we're not going to leave the EU now, I, I don't think we're ever going to leave. I, I really don't. It's quite any. Another thing I realised about the EU is, and this is off topic in a way, but it's because I'm stuck behind trucks on the road because they're all freaking going 56 miles an hour. Now, the speed limit in the UK on most roads is 60 miles an hour. But because in the EU, the kilometre equivalent is 56 miles an hour, all our trucks go 56 miles an hour. Well, what, just let them go 60. It's only four miles an hour faster, but you can't. Because the EU say it has to be 56. So what you get? People making crazy overtaking manoeuvres to try and go four miles an hour faster because they're all stuck behind a truck at 56. Absolutely ridiculous. Another reason to hate the EU. Just another one. And what else has been happening? Yes, the uh, first of the refugees have arrived in Glasgow. <laughs> I had to laugh. I saw this little aeroplane land at Glasgow Airport in a horrendous storm. It's been thrown from left to right. It crunched down in a, a complete sort of waterfall of water and disappeared into a cloud of... Um, missed as it braked and stopped on the runway. You can see their faces. They just left the refugee camp in Syria and they're like, oh my goodness, the weather's not very good, is it? But at least we're going to be fine. We're going to be safe here. <laughs> they get in the bus and head off to Easter House. <laughs> I mean, I love Glasgow, but my goodness, there are nicer places to go than that. I, I, can, I can tell you that. I don't know how they're going to get on there in the middle of a Scottish winter in Easter House. So I, I wish them luck. I mean, they're probably going to end up just racing back. You know, they're going to be going the other way. They're going to be, they're going to be clinging on to the bottom of trucks to get out of the UK and go back to Aleppo or something. Just scurry back to Damascus. The poor, <laughs> the poor people. Anyway, it just made me chuckle. That um, I hope they get on fine. Of course, I'm, I, I love Glasgow. I love the place. I worked there for years and years and years, and uh, it's the, the the one of the greatest cities in the country. It really is. But uh, <laughs> it it does take a bit of acclimatization. Put it that way. Oh yes. Oh, what was it? Yeah, Cameron. 
Cameron, just um, the poppy on Remembrance Day or just before, he photoshopped a poppy onto his suit. Can you believe it? If you want one example of David Cameron and what he stands for and what modern politics stand for, it is actually photoshopping a poppy onto yourself. That's how fake they all are. Can you believe it? Photoshopping a, a poppy on yourself. I mean, it's not, you know, he's on 140,000 a year plus the trust fund and various properties. You think he'd actually be able to buy one, not just Photoshop it on? Who came up with that idea? Absolutely appalling. What else has been going on? Well, various radio stations have had phone ins, and I've listened to a few of them talking about. Uh, how it's basically what they're saying is it's racist to uh, be against immigration. They're still trotting out that one. It's no one's against immigration for goodness sake. It's just the numbers game, isn't it? For goodness sake. I mean, if you're on a, a, a bus and the bus has 49 seats in the bus and you're not building any more seats, there's not going to be any more seats for many, many years until you buy a whole new bus then as soon as you go above 49 seats, it starts to get a bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? And if you have 80 people on a 49-seater bus, it doesn't matter what race the people are. It doesn't matter what religion the people are. It doesn't matter what gender the people are. When it gets overcrowded, it gets unpleasant. The bus can't cope. The infrastructure can't cope. The heating can't work. It's the same with the country. You can't just let everybody in the door as much as you'd love to, maybe, from Syria and everywhere around the world, which has problems that, thankfully, we don't have so many of, you can't just let everybody in until you get a bus with more seat. It's not racist. It's just common sense. And most of the people that say this, well, they are living in, you know, expensive parts of London where they send their kids to private schools. They're the typical Guardian Easter left-wing elite. And they have no idea what it's like to try and get a, a nursery school place and try and get a appointment at your local doctors to commute into work on the overcrowded roads, tube system and public transport systems. They have absolutely no idea. So I wish I'd just zip it dot com. I really do. Anyway, that's um, my take on, on immigration. The other thing that was going on was, um, oh, yeah, there's this. It turns out that all the Russians were cheating. All the Russians were cheating at the London 2012 Olympics. I mean, who would have guessed that the Russians would be cheating? Uh, he, it just it, it, extraordinary, isn't it, really? Um, I mean, some Russian girl did the 200 metres in four seconds. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's not true, by the way. But it's it was just slightly suspicious, wasn't it? Um, and it turns out that the IAAF, which is the uh, International Athletics something or other, um, basically overseas uh, international athletics, it's corrupt too. Who'd have thought? But it turns out it's even worse than FIFA. I mean, FIFA, to be fair, we're just taking good old-fashioned brown envelopes, backhanders. What IAAF were doing was actually colluding with the nation-states to get certain drug tests overlooked, taking money in order to throw out samples. It's just... So they were actually involved in the cheating. They were fixing the results. FIFA, for all their problems, and boy, they've got a few problems, 
There's no allegations yet that they were actually fixing matches. They were just fixing where the matches were held, who the sponsors were, and taking proper jumbo-sized bungs um, to, um, to make it happen. But the IAAF seemed to be actually colluding in the results of the individual races, which is really much, much worse. And the guy that runs it seems to be a crook. I mean, all the athletes are just as high as kites at London 2012. I mean, maybe it was the opening ceremony that... Um, <laughs> maybe it was a bit trippy for them with all the, the people dancing around the hospital beds and the chimneys coming up. Maybe they all thought they should all, should be on drugs to, uh, to make it all seem normal. But they're all as high as kites. I, I don't believe any sports, unfortunately, now. I, I don't believe anyone that's in sport isn't on drugs. I, of course, they're not all on drugs, but I just assume they are. So for me, what you need to do is just make the drugs legal. Just say, it's a free-for-all. Take what on earth you want. And that would help bring sponsorship in too. Because then you could get, ah, this year Russia is sponsored by Glaxo, Smithkline, Beecham. They're sampling their latest amphetamines or steroids. And you could see some Russian woman come out with biceps the size of the Alps, you know, 18 stone and <laughs> jump jump out of the stadium, you know, just um, here's the high jump, oh, she's jumped out of the stadium. It'd be fascinating. Then you get another drug company to create some other um, uh, drug or, or steroid or some training aid like that. And, you know, you, you could see how far you could push it, you know, you could see how far you could push it. You could, and as long as they have like a massive heart attack or their head explodes and they win, then that's fine. If they die before the end of the race, that's not good. So, you know, the drug company gets negative sponsorship, marketise the whole thing. Just make it all legal. You can take what on earth you want to take and you get some fascinating results. You really would. Actually, it probably wouldn't be that different because they're all on drugs anyway. But sponsor it. You know, get, let's get the drug companies to come up with some really interesting shit, you know. Let's see what they can do. I want to see a high jumper jump out of the stadium. I want them to be on so many drugs that they just jump out straight over the crowds, like 70 metres high, out of the stadium. That would be fantastic. The long jump, they could they could jump 200 metres. How amazing would that be? Or the 100 metres, they, they could do it in two seconds, like faster than an F1 car, because they're on so many drugs. They're so strong. And, you know, they, they might die at the end, they might explode, but that's the risk that they take. You know, they all got paid a lot these days. They take endorsements, so... Let's just go the whole hog and just completely monetize the whole thing. Just take as many drugs as they possibly can. <laughs> anyway, that's my take. That's my wrap-up. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Be sure to tune in again. Every week, download the Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed podcast. It's really becoming quite a big thing now, not just in Scotland, but across the country. 8,000 downloads now regularly. Absolutely fantastic stuff. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back with you shortly. Take care.